Good morning. Those of you here in person, great to see you. Good morning if you're tuning in online. Um, you'll have heard mentioned earlier that Christmas Eve, we have uh, some creative elements for our Christmas experience this year. So there will be a service available to watch online, which will have some great creative elements to it. And then at six o'clock, uh, we'll be gathered outside here. That's weather permitting. Uh, but I will tell you that we've put in a request for just the perfect night. It's going to be not too cold, not too warm. Warm. We'll have our first flutter of snow, like a Bing Crosby, white Christmas, just enough snow to make it beautiful, but not enough to make it miserable. So join us there. We'll be singing some carols. We'll be serving hot chocolate, uh, free gifts to every family that comes. So hopefully that'll be something that you can be a part of this Christmas with us. Well, um, I wonder if we're, we're getting close here, which is about a week left, week and a half left till Christmas. I wonder how many of you here, how many watching online have already finished all of their shopping? How many like me haven't yet even begun? Um, and I wonder how many of you are in that spot where you've done most of your shopping, but there's that one person that you've still got to get a gift for. And the reason you haven't yet isn't because you're procrastinating, it's because they're so hard to buy for. This person just seems to have everything, doesn't seem to want anything. They're just a really difficult person to find a gift for. Well, this morning, you're in luck. I'm here to help you buy the gift for the person who you just don't know what gift to get. So I'm going to give you some, uh, some clues here, some ideas, some great gift ideas that uh, I guarantee you, A, they won't have, uh, and B, they may not want, but I guarantee you they won't have it. So uh, maybe here's an idea for that person in your life you don't know what to get. How about a backyard yeti? Okay, a backyard Yeti. Yes, these are available to purchase. Now, I know some of you are looking on thinking, well, that's probably just like a little thing. Like, a Oh, no, no, this is life-size. Uh, let's have a look at the picture. Here it is next to a little girl here, a young lady. So, yeah, this is a huge, I say life-size. Like, it's like the exact same size as the real Yeti that I know you know what exists out there. Life-size Yeti in your backyard, that'd be great. Um, maybe uh, if it's not something for the backyard, maybe something for inside the house, some new furniture. Uh, you could get somebody a sumo table. I guarantee you, your friend currently does not have a sumo table. Um, you think I'm making these things up? You can go to walmart.com right now. This thing will cost you $570. But what a wonderful addition this will make to your living room. And, and I guarantee you, three out of four people that sit around that table are going to love it. It's a great table. So um, sumo table, that's, uh, that's another idea. Maybe... Maybe uh, for the person who just has everything, I bet they don't have one of these, a kitten, cat, unicorn shower curtain. Okay, a new shower curtain with a uh, cat riding a unicorn with lasers coming out of his eyes. Perfect gift for the person in your life who seems to have everything. Or uh, finally, and what's interesting is I, I shared this last one in first service. It's kind of a gag gift, but I heard afterwards a lot of people saying, that's a great idea. I, I think I want to get one of those. It is a Harry Potter wand remote. You can program this to change the channel and the volume on your TV. So you use your Harry Potter wand, you can change the channels, you can turn the volume up and down. Um, I thought it sounded crazy, but a lot of people were like, oh, I'd, I'd like one of those. So there are people right now who are just imagining how wonderful life would be, just waving that wand and changing the channels. Well, maybe you've been listening to our series, A Simple Christmas, and you've decided this year we're going to go a bit more simple. And even though your son asked for the new Xbox or the PlayStation 5, you've decided to surprise him. And Christmas Day, when he 
opens his gift, instead of a new gaming console, he's going to have a nice, brand new, small bottle of myrrh. Some myrrh. I mean, who wouldn't want some myrrh? What teenage boy wouldn't want a bottle of myrrh on Christmas Day? And he'll be like, Mom, Dad, what is this? You'll be like, it's myrrh. And he'll be like, what's myrrh? And you'll be like, it's, it's myrrh. It's like one of the gifts that the wise men gave to Jesus. And he'll be like, well, what's it for? And you're like, oh, lots of things, but mainly embalming dead people. And he'll be like, awesome. So you decided to get me one of the gifts that the wise men got Jesus. They got him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You, you didn't get gold, but you got myrrh. Come on. It's those wise men and their gifts that I want to talk about this morning. It's a, a central part of the Christmas story. We're all very familiar with the story of the wise men. It's, it's definitely one of those stories that um, every Christmas you hear it and you think, oh, I can't learn anything new about this. I know the story, but um, I was amazed even this week as I was preparing for this message, just some, some new thoughts I had just on the wise men and their, their trip to see Jesus. Because we're going to look in um, the account of the life of Jesus as told by Matthew this morning. And what's important to understand is that um, the life of Jesus, the story of Jesus was told by four different individuals, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of them have a lot of the same elements in their accounts, but some of them have different elements. Some of them tell stories that others don't. And part of the reason for that is that all four of them were writing to four different audiences. So knowing their audience in mind, there were certain things they wanted to make sure that their audience understood. So Matthew, he knew that his audience was primarily the people of Israel. He was writing his account of the life of Jesus to the Jewish people. So with that in mind, there were certain things he wanted to make sure that his audience, the Jews, knew about not just the life, but the birth of Jesus. You see, the people of Israel would have understood that there had been a prophecy for years prior to the birth of Jesus, that one day a Messiah would be born. One day God would send this Messiah, this King of the Jews. So Matthew wants to make sure that his audience understood that this Jesus who was born in a manger in Bethlehem was that King of the Jews that had been prophesied. So with that in mind, we're going to read the account this morning of the wise men, and we're going to find out that it's actually a tale of two kings. We're going to learn this morning a tale of two kings. Let's start here in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. So right at the outset of this part of the story, right at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, Matthew introduces us to the first king, a king by the name of Herod. Now, Israel was no stranger to kings. For hundreds of years now, they'd had kings rule over them. They went all the way back to King Saul, the very first king. There were many kings that followed after that, but they'd just come through a period where they didn't have any kings. They'd been overthrown by other empires, and they'd lived in captivity. So for a while, there had been no kings. But as the Romans came in and took over the people of Israel, took over Jerusalem, they allowed the people of Israel to have a king. So this guy Herod, who was in tight with the Romans, he had no legitimacy to be a, a Jewish king, but he took the throne. He became the king at that time. And Matthew is reminding his readers that this is all taking place during his reign. 
Now, Herod was actually the first of several people in the family of Herod that would go on to continue to be kings. And this particular one, this first one, he was not a very nice guy. History tells us that as king, Herod was both brutal and divisive, punishing um, or executing his enemies and rewarding his friends. And at this point in the story, he's been king for about 40 years. And then we take on from Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. About that time, 40 years into the reign of Herod, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem. Now, what's interesting to note here is it says some wise men. We assume it was three wise men because there were three gifts. Matthew doesn't say how many came. It could have been two. It could have been 10. But we do know that some wise men arrived from the east, maybe Babylonia, Persia. You may have heard them called the three wise men, the three kings. The actual Greek word for the the people that Matthew is describing was a word called magi, M-A-G-I, magi. I'm sure some of you have heard this word, and what it literally means is astronomers. These were wise people who studied prophecies and studied the stars and signs. And even though they weren't Jews themselves, they would have been very familiar with the story of the Jewish prophecies that one day a king would come, the Messiah would come. So it's of no surprise that these people who studied prophecies and studied the heavens and the signs, when they saw this star, they knew, they they kind of made the connection. It's time, the king has been born. And they made their way, these magi, these wise men, to Jerusalem. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 through 2 says, About that same time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem, asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. See, here's the crazy thing. They understood the signs. They knew about the prophecy. So I think when they arrived in Jerusalem, they were expecting everyone to understand, everyone to realise what was going on. And they arrived and no one had a clue. A few years ago, maybe three, four years ago now, my family and I, we got to go to California on a vacation and we travelled around a little bit. And um, obviously, as you know, vacations aren't for relaxing. Vacations are for seeing and doing as much stuff as you can while you're in the place that you're at. Uh, My wife loves going on vacation with me, as I'm sure you can imagine. So we were in Los Angeles, and we're doing stuff, and I'm online figuring out to make sure we get to see everything and do everything while we're there. And one day, we're in a particular area of Los Angeles, and I get online, I'm like, "Ah, guys, get in the van. You're not going to believe how close we are to something that we've got to see. So we all load up in the van, we drive a few blocks, we drive into this subdivision, kind of in the middle of nowhere, and we pull up in front of this house. Anyone know what that house is? The Brady Bunch. I know, it was the Brady Bunch house right there. Now, I'm sure this isn't actually where they filmed the Brady Bunch, but this was the house, the exterior scene of the Brady Bunch. So we're outside, we're taking pictures, we're doing selfies in front of the Brady Bunch house. But it was so crazy because as I'm getting all excited, there's cars driving by, people walking their dogs, people living in this neighborhood. It's it's as if they don't realize Do you guys not know this house? This is where the Bradys lived. The backyard of this house is where Peter broke Marsha's nose. Do you not know? (laughs) 
but no one seemed to care and no one seemed to realize. And I wonder if that's how the wise men felt when they arrived in Jerusalem, so excited to meet this newborn king and people were just carrying on as if nothing had happened. They didn't recognize the signs like the wise men had. So they have to start asking around. They start talking to people. They start saying, hey, we're here to find the the king of the Jews. Where is he? We saw the star. And word starts to spread throughout the city of Jerusalem. Listen to verses three and four. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is this Messiah supposed to be born? So not only were people in the community talking about these dignitaries who have arrived from the east asking about the newborn king of the Jews, word made it to the palace and Herod, the current king of Jerusalem, he's disturbed. He wants to find out where the Messiah is born. In fact, he seems to be more disturbed than anyone else. And there's a reason for that. Every now and again, I'll get a text from a friend uh, and it normally starts off something like this. It'll say, hey, we're watching the crown, dot, 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 dot. And then there'll be some question. It'll be something like, why do they always do this? Or is it really true that this happened? Or was this person, was he or she really like that? And apparently I've become the all things British royalty expert. And they come to me with all these questions. And sadly, most of the time I respond with, I'm not really sure. (laughs) Casey and I have watched all four seasons of The Crown and every episode she'll turn to me and say, is that what happened? I said, I don't know. And we'll get online and Google it and something like that did happen. So I'm learning a lot about the British monarchy. But one thing I did know, and I knew this from watching the show and I knew this from going to school in England and my history lessons, and that is the way the monarchy works. It's a a lineage system. There's a genealogy that takes place. So the current queen, Queen Elizabeth II, she's the queen because she was the eldest daughter of George, King George. I had to check there which one it was, King George. She was his eldest daughter. Her eldest son, Charles, will one day be king when she passes away. His son, William, will then be king and and so on and so on. In fact, over the years in history, there have been challenges to the throne because people have said they're the rightful heir to the throne because of their lineage or who they're related to. And the same was true in Israel. Israel had a history of kings who were fathers and sons and grandsons, and and this continued on. And Herod wasn't a part of this lineage. So this is why Herod was nervous. Because again, don't forget, Matthew is telling this story, and Matthew is writing to the people of Israel who understand this. In fact, Matthew chapter 2 begins the story of the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 is just as important. Because if you go back one chapter, you'll discover 16 verses that you've probably skipped over when you're reading Matthew because it's just this person gave birth to this person, gave birth to this person. It's like a genealogy. But it's Matthew reminding us that going back to Abraham, we can trace all the way up to Joseph, the husband of Mary. And right there in the middle is King David. So just as the prophecy said, there will come one day a king of the Jews. He will be the Messiah and he will follow in the line of the order of King David. 
No wonder King Herod was disturbed. In fact, if you remember the Bible story, he asks the wise men to come back and see him after they've met this baby because he wants to see him. He doesn't want to see him. He wants to kill him because he sees his place on the throne threatened. Matthew is making it clear to his audience that there are two kings in this story. There is a king who currently sits on the throne and then there is another baby being born who will become the true king. Herod's plan was for the wise men to come back and tell him and they got wind of this and they went a different way and they didn't tell Herod where to find the infant Jesus. So Herod comes up with this crazy plan to kill every newborn baby boy two years old and under in Bethlehem in an attempt to wipe out Jesus, this new king. This sounds like a, a, a radical response, but the more we read of, his, of Herod in history, the more we understand why he responded this way. He was already losing his grip on power. Herod had 10 wives and as a result had multiple sons. And many of them were in the process of plotting against him because they wanted to be the next king. They wanted to be the next Herod. His paranoia drove him to have two of his sons killed. They were the sons of his favorite wife and he had them both killed in the city that he and his wife got married in. There was another son who was in prison at the time because he had tried to poison his father in a plot to kill him and take over the throne. Herod's leadership had been filled with hatred, suspicion, murder, and now it was all coming back on him. In fact, one Bible commentator describes his final days, Herod's final days like this. Herod's dream of power and glory had turned into a nightmare. The desperate king struggled to the last to maintain control over his kingdom long after he had lost control over himself. And in this way, he died. And meanwhile, just a few miles away, another king had been born. A far simpler king. One who would grow up to be known for his servant's heart and his attitude for his compassion and his kindness, his kindness too and his acceptance of others, one who would give value to the poor and the disenfranchised of his day. A king who, by his own choice, would one day lay down his life because he loves you and me so much. A king who had all the power in heaven to call upon to destroy his enemies but not choose to use it because he knew that his death and resurrection was the only way that yours and my relationship with God could be restored. And a king who today now sits at the right hand of the Father. That simple king went on to become the king of kings. And now the wise men, having arrived in Jerusalem, they have to decide which king to worship, which king to give the gifts to, which one is the true king of the Jews. You know, it's amazing. Every Christmas I get the opportunity to, to speak from this stage and tell the story that's the same every year. And one would think, you know, how can you preach the same message every Christmas when nothing changes? But it's amazing how every year as I study this story more, God shows me more things just about the Christmas story. Because as great as the story is, my desire is that we can learn something from it. The 2,000 years later, it can challenge us. 
And that's exactly what happened this week as I was working on this message and and thinking it through. I I got thinking about these two kings. It struck me the contrast between these two kings, Herod, this mighty, powerful king, and Jesus, this meek baby born in a manger. Two very different kings. And I got to thinking that it almost represents a, a battle that rages inside me and you of two kings both competing for power. These two kings at work in our lives. There's the one like Jesus that wants to do right and make a difference, to love, to be loved, to be a good person. And I think every one of us has that at our core. But I think if we're honest, there's parts of us at times that can relate to the other king, to King Herod. That desire to be known, to be recognized, to be powerful and to do whatever it takes to get there. Even if that means at times going against our principles or our values, maybe hurting others. And the challenge is in the world in which we live, it's almost like the King Herod gets rewarded more. That's the one that gets to the top of the ladder, the one that's most powerful. Doesn't matter how he got there, he's the one that got to the top. But in getting to the top, there's a cost. You don't get to the top without challenges along the way. So the King Herods face fear and deception and jealousy and anger and paranoia and insecurity. And it's almost like King Herod represents everything that this world has to offer. And there's a part of us that that seeks that and, and hungers and thirsts after that. Whereas King Jesus, the much simpler, meeker version of kingship, represents something more than this world has to offer. Something eternal, something bigger than just this life. I haven't always been a follower of Jesus. I can remember when I was 18 years old meeting somebody who shared with me their faith and shared with me the story of the difference Jesus had made in their lives. And at the time, I really didn't think this was for me. I had a plan. I was, I was going places. But I also knew from talking to this guy that there was something missing inside of me. Deep down inside of me, I felt like all of this that I was pursuing, there was just something missing. And as this person told me about this relationship he had with this simple King Jesus, he talked of a completeness, a wholeness that I hungered for. In making that decision over 30 years ago to follow Jesus, I can say that I've never looked back, I've never doubted that that was the right decision to make. That there is something that Jesus can bring and and offer in our lives that I don't think this world ever will. So what did the, the Magi choose? Which king did they choose? Verse nine, after this interview, the wise men went their way and the star they'd seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. We sang that this morning, O come, let us adore him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These were extravagant gifts, gifts of high value. Gifts that represented how much they worshipped this king that the star had led them to. You know, today we 
We may not have gold or frankincense or myrrh. We may look to the valuable things we have to try and offer Jesus, but the most valuable thing we can give this morning, if we want to choose to follow this king, this simple king, is the most valuable thing we have. It's our lives. It's all of our hearts. It's saying, Jesus, I don't want you just to be a part of my life. I don't want you just to be something I experience for an hour on a Sunday morning. I don't want you to be something that I just think about at Christmas and Easter. I want you to be something that fills my life. That's the greatest gift I can give you this Christmas time. Greater than gold, greater than frankincense, greater than myrrh. And I hope and pray this morning that as you face the contrast of these two kings, that you look at who King Herod was and what he represented, and then you look at King Jesus, that meek infant and what he represented, the simple option, that you will realize that one may seem greater. But here's the thing. 2,000 years have gone by. And while Herod features in the story... He was a powerful king at the time. He was the king in Jerusalem at the time, a force to be reckoned with. But today, we celebrate again this Christmas, the birth of Jesus, who is the king of kings. Herod features in the story, but the true hero, the king at the center of the story is Jesus, and he wants to be at the center of your life as well. Let's pray. Father, There is some temporary satisfaction that can be gained from pursuing things in this life, in this world. But I think this story that Matthew was telling illustrated so clearly that of the two kings, only one can make an eternal difference. And maybe this morning some of us have that battle raging inside of us between those two kings. There's a draw towards one and, and, and the draw as well towards the other. And, and ultimately, Lord, we make the decision. We make the decision that the Magi made as to which king we will bow down and worship, which king we will bring our gifts to. So I pray for everyone here this morning, everybody watching online, that this would be the Christmas. This would be the year that we, we surrender it all. We say, Jesus, I want you to be the king of my life. I don't want you to just be a story or somebody who plays a part in my life every Sunday morning. Lord, I want you to be the king of my life. Come and take reign over my life. Rule over me, Lord. Because Jesus, you represent, even in the simplicity of the Christmas story, a king that will change our lives eternally. So help us to make that choice, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.